Section two of Captain Cook by Walter Besant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter one Birth and Education. Part two. Now to some boys, when they hear such stories, there falls upon their senses a longing so mighty that it overpowers them. Like the rats when the piper of Hamelin first began, like the children when his flute played a second time, they hear strange voices, they see imaginary splendors, the washing of the waves upon the shore falls upon their ears like the sweetest music. Their hearts swell only to see a black collier beating up slowly against the wind, and presently a voice not to be resisted calls upon them to arise and betake themselves to some place where they too can be received upon shipboard and become sailors for good or for evil alas this was generally in james cook's time for evil the sailor had then things to encounter the like of which we have now well-nigh forgotten there was scurvy at sea there were ships too clumsy to answer helm there were worm-eaten bottoms there was foul water to drink and not enough of it salt junk to eat and not enough of that there were captains who could and sometimes did lash the flesh off the seaman's back for a word or a look of mutiny there were sharks ashore and there was the enemy afloat yet nothing not the warnings of the experienced or the history of terrible shipwrecks or the certain knowledge of these things could keep the young sailor ashore or make him prefer the counter to the deck. James Cook was such a boy. He heard these voices and had these visions. Perhaps among the fisherfolk of the Staithes there may have been one or two who had sailed through the strait Le Maire and up the coast of Chile and Peru, and even beyond, and north of the island of California, escaping from the Spanish fleet and boldly tackling the biggest and strongest Spanish ship and so across the great pacific ocean on the parallel of latitude thirteen degrees north to the isle of guam whence through friendly seas and round the cape of good hope home there came a time when he could resist no longer and he fled legends have grown up around this hegira from which cook's life should be dated it is said that he quarrelled with his master it is said that he demanded to have his articles broken it is further said that in order to pay for a conveyance from the staithes to whitby he stole a shilling from the till the preservation of the till itself which was shown until quite recently has always been considered sufficient proof of this story of the stolen shilling true it is that on the spot certain of the oldest inhabitants endeavour to soften down the story to remove from it the more tragic elements which really constitute its strength and lend it a moral by alleging that james cook did not steal a shilling but that he exchanged an old for a new shilling by which his master was in no ways injured now the mute evidence of the till in no way supports this explanation it says plainly neither a shilling was stolen from me or it was not looking into the receptacles in the depths of me what do you think about the breaking of the articles the boy's parents were fifteen miles away and practically inaccessible articles of apprenticeship were not broken without a great deal of trouble and some expense boys who want to go to sea have never troubled themselves about legal formalities they run away robinson crusoe the leading case ran away james cook ran away 
he tied up his belongings one shirt and a jack-knife and his only handkerchief stole out of the house one summer morning at daybreak looked across the bay for a moment marked how the rising sun gilded the sails of the coaster a mile out at sea looked regretfully at the row of boats lying on the beach or anchored in the harbour and then strode away along the narrow street of the town where all were asleep except himself and as to that conveyance to whitby considering that the distance is no more than nine or ten miles or perhaps a little more by way of the cliff that there was then no road except a bridle path between any of the villages along that coast that there were then no carts carriages or vehicles of any kind running between whitby and the staithes and that he was a stout and sturdy lad we may without difficulty acknowledge that he did the little journey on foot and that if he took that shilling at all which a biographer who loves his hero may be permitted to doubt it was to provide himself with food until he should get what he wanted a ship this one feels quite certain is the exact truth but in order to make the thing perfectly clear let me borrow a page from the book of things forgotten a work too generally neglected by the historian on monday morning the fifth july seventeen forty two mr sanderson grocer and draper awoke somewhat later than usual he knew it was later because he heard the washing of the waves upon the staith the tide was up he remembered that the high tide was due at six o'clock that morning men who live by the sea always know the time of day by the tide and the time when high tide and low tide are due he got out of bed therefore being reminded at the same time by a certain heaviness of head that he had taken more beer than is needful for man's refreshment at the cod and lobster the night before then he dressed leisurely and descended the narrow stair into his shop he found to his astonishment that the place was still closed and as the sunshine streaming through the upper holes of the shutters showed that the floor was unswept and nothing set out upon the counter mr sanderson had his misgivings taught by past experience he said nothing he crept with silence and great caution to the corner where stood the instrument with which he daily admonished his apprentice grasped it and stole to the counter under which the boy made his bed at night intent on giving him a lesson short and practical on the duty of early rising one he thought that should leave a lasting impression there was no boy the blanket was thrown back the sacking on which he lay was crumpled up the boy had left his bed mr sanderson laid down the stick and tried the door it was unbolted and unlocked the boy had therefore gone then mr sanderson sighed and replaced the cane in its corner it would wait for the next apprentice for this one had run away and gone to sea he made no inquiries and had no doubts all the boys who were indentured to this good man ran away and went to sea he could not keep them though he flogged them every day they would go to sea where the floggings were more frequent and more various ranging from the dread cat with nine tails to the handy rope's end they would go james cook had only followed the others he remembered now that it was too late certain symptoms which should have warned him a new restlessness in the boy a careless weighing of the brown sugar a lavish rendering of a yard of welsh flannel and a certain wistful look in his eyes whenever he could steal to the door and gaze upon the water well he had gone to see another apprentice must be found perhaps james would be wrecked and cast away or he might fall overboard or the ship might founder 
or he might get tired of the sea life and being unfitted for a landsman's drudgery turn vagabond highwayman footpad and so get hanged or he might become a steady and useful sailor and come back to give an account of himself with these thoughts he opened the till it was empty he remembered leaving a bright shilling in it on saturday evening it was empty the young villain he had robbed the till he took it in his hand and went to the door and hard by were the cobblemen leaning against the posts men said mr sanderson have you seen james cook he's run away and robbed the till of a shilling up spoke a grey-haired mariner robbed the till man thou robbed it thyself last night to pay the reckoning art too drunk yet to mind ye an oot for t money mr sanderson retired with his empty till but the word had been spoken and it was spread abroad in the staiths and contradicted and again reported that james cook had not only run away to sea but had robbed the till of a new shilling for there is a sticking quality about a lie particularly a lie which degrades if it is believed and to this day but the rest we know the good man took another apprentice and yet another and another they all ran away and went to sea except one who was preparing to go too when a putrid fever seized him caused by the stinking fish he departed too but not in the same way and now lies buried in hinderwell churchyard under a grassy mound and is forgotten the shop as has been already stated stands no longer the cotton lobster then the first house in the row under the south cliff is now the only house left for a few years after the flight of james cook there arose one night a mighty storm of wind and rain the waves came rolling in from the north the tide ran over the staiths and flooded the lower part of the town the people in this row of houses had to fly for their lives and one by one the buildings fell and were washed away before the tide went down all but the old tavern which still stands to show the kind of hostelry which was the fisherman's house of resort in the year seventeen forty or thereabouts the respectable sanderson saved his effects and furniture and his till the shop was reopened in a house higher up the house still stands but the shop is closed when mr sanderson at length concluded his pilgrimage one turner took it over in his place sanderson having no sons or which is possible all the sanderson sons having run away and gone to sea turner in due course gave place to one row who was also now gone and the shop is closed the till has disappeared and will no longer bear evidence the dumb helpless thing to an invention perhaps it has been acquired by the library of the royal geographical society or it may be among the treasures of the royal society i have looked for it in the museum of whitby but it is not there james cook came no more to the staiths the people however heard of him he was seen at whitby between voyages ten years or so later the news came that he had been pressed into the king's navy and one day twenty years and more after he had run away the news came to this little port that lieutenant cook nothing less if you please than lieutenant had sailed away in command of a king's ship bound for the pacific ocean whither men go to fight the spaniard never before in the memory of man had officer of the royal navy come from the staiths captains of fishing smacks even of colliers but lieutenants in the royal navy never why james cook was my apprentice said mr sanderson now old and shaken in his memory he ran away and went to sea and he robbed the till i he took a new shilling out of the till 
this very till it was a new shilling though they did say but here his memory failed him they cherish the memory of james cook's boyhood all over cleveland the strangers who visit the staiths from whitby or from saltburn are told where was the house in which cook served part of an apprenticeship at martin where the great sailor was born there is a school named after him at great ayton they show the house built by his father after the great sailor had left the place and the schoolhouse rebuilt after the great sailor had gone away there is a monument to his memory erected upon a hill near ayton for all the world to see and at whitby in the museum they have his portrait and a relic or two from the endeavour and a collection of south sea arms dresses and implements which though presented by various donors are accepted by the visitor as placed there in honour of captain cook and if you make your way to the little street where he was articled half a dozen of the people run forth instantly to point out the house End of section two.